Welcome to another episode of Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. My name is John Vandergriff. I'm one of the owners and wealth planners at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, and I'm joined as always by Zach Hill, who is the uh, operations team lead, also the portfolio management team lead at our team. Uh, he does own Remedy Coffee, just to throw that in to keep this good and consistent with really every episode that we've ever had. Um, but Zach is going to share with you a little bit of what he's been looking at as the portfolio management uh, driver of our company uh, as we look at our topic today, which is just the current state of the economy. I think this is going to be something that we try to do, I think, a couple times a year at minimum, right. uh, just so that we can you know, hopefully clue some people into what's going on bigger than just broad market results and different things. Uh, and, and obviously, with this year being... Um, all over the place uh, in different places. I think it is good moving forward to just get a current snapshot of what's happening and maybe some opportunities, mm -hmm. but also, you know, what to look for as well. So, so with that being said, Zach is going to drive a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And then we'll, again, go back and forth on the topic of this economy and, and see kind of where it takes us. So, Zach, yep. if you want to go ahead and take yeah, the wheel here. Like you said, we want to try to do this a little bit regularly from now on, but this one is especially timely just because of everything that's happened in the country and the economy this year. I think we've seen uh, headlines and you know GDP figures or specific points of economic data come in that are just crazy. They like I, I've said this a lot of times, and this is the best way I know to describe it. Is it looks like an error yeah. when you see these numbers. When you see a lot of these numbers happening, and you saw it, you know, March really when the pandemic started to now a lot of these things just don't look right. And so really diving in and seeing what's actually going on under the hood in the economy and uh, what are some good, you know, we actually have seen some strong points in the economy and a lot of weaknesses, obviously, uh, over the last few months. And so I'm going to dive in a little bit into that as we get in here. Um, but the, the biggest measure that we look at when we look at the economy is GDP, which is gross domestic product, which is just a measure of all economic activity. Uh, I have GDP was really invented after the Great Depression. So a lot of what I say when I say worst since GDP was invented, it was after the Great Depression. But right. what we saw in GDP uh, this year was depression era numbers. We saw the second quarter GDP shrank 31 percent. Right. That's that is so far and away worse than any number that we've ever seen. Yeah. And so that's just the broad measure of economic activity. And if you you know, we kind of saw that coming in real time. We knew that in April and May and June that economic activity was going to be bad because nobody was leaving their houses. We weren't going out to eat. Restaurants were shut down. Oil was in negative territory because we stopped driving. So there was just no demand right. for gasoline. There was no travel. I mean, we airlines stopped flying for a little bit. So we saw all those things come to a pretty abrupt halt. And uh, that's really when GDP took the biggest hit. And so that's there's a lot of reasons for that, but it was the most common sense thing in the world whenever you saw it. You're like, well, nobody's doing anything. The yeah. the one place that people were spending money was Amazon. We saw online retail sales shot up. I mean, we've seen that. I just saw a headline a couple weeks ago that Black Friday had their biggest ever online sales for Black Friday weekend. And then in-person stores had their worst day, daily sales since they started tracking Black Friday sales. Which is odd because Black Friday was more days. So, yeah. I mean, you know... <laughs> Just by sheer amount of time potential, you probably have a bigger, right. bigger scale, uh, scale or sale. So yeah, so just those type of things. But right now, in the in the second quarter, we really we knew that was coming. But the third quarter bounced back so quickly. The economy just rebounded a lot faster than I ever anticipated. And we saw, um, I mean, we saw 
obviously Q3 GDP was up 33% over the second quarter. So that we had a negative 30% and then we had a positive 30%. And so we went from having the worst quarter ever in GDP in, in U.S. history, because like I said, GDP yeah. was invented after the Great Depression, to the best quarter ever. I mean, those the, we just went from worst to best within a matter of a month is what it seemed is. And that's really what happened. And so uh, going into that third quarter and seeing that rebound is it was it was pretty sharp. And so as we kind of look and see what was going on there, you type you kind of think, OK, well, I guess I was going out to eat more, but not really. I wasn't really we weren't really doing many, many things differently. But under the hood in the economy, there were a lot of different things that were that were moving um, that helped that GDP grow significantly. Um, and, and again, too, you know, I think for those of you that aren't watching this on the podcast, we will have Zach's going to share a lot of reference material with you uh, that will be on our show notes and on the land, landing page that we have. So if you go to planforeverything.com, uh, we can look at that and, and obviously, you yeah. know, get you some more information. Uh, and you can also follow links through the YouTube channel as well. So yeah. uh, and I think, too, you know, to to talk about your point a little bit, because I think. You, you talk about GDP not being invented before the Great Depression. The last time that we had, like, shutdowns like we've had was in 1918 right. with the Spanish flu, which obviously predated the Great Depression, yeah. too. Yeah. So we've never really had anything like this that completely shut down the country. And I think, you know, to your point, even even though we look at kind of the third quarter and say we didn't really do anything different, just returning back to normal, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, with, with some – like being able to leave your house and go to the gas station, you know, drives exactly. oil up, you know. So it's just it, when you have such a sharp decline in a very quick amount of time, it doesn't take much to stimulate a dead economy, right. you know. I mean, exactly. So. And that's, I mean, and we saw that stimulus bill. If you want to talk about like stimulating the economy, we yeah. knew in real time that this was happening back. Uh, the GDP figures actually for like the second quarter GDP doesn't come out until July. So there's a little bit of a lag, but we know in real time, we knew in real time that the economy was bad. We saw it happening yeah. on a day to day basis. We saw March madness get canceled and then everybody's like, Whoa, that's a big hit. And then yeah, this is real now. Yeah. And then you see the NBA season gets canceled and you see all of these things happening and you're like, wow, this is the, it doesn't take a genius to know that March madness getting canceled costs a lot of people, a lot of money. Yeah. And so, those type of things happening in real time, I think, is something like you said. It's just it's un, like it's unpre, unprecedented. Um, but on the flip side, there were a lot of positive things happening in real time. Like I said, the stimulus bill, the stimulus bill uh, having increased unemployment um, insurance for those who are unemployed. You got that six hundred dollars a week. That actually led to increasing wages. Yeah. So we were in the middle of a recession, and wages were increasing. And those two things just have never happened before. Yeah, because I think they didn't do a. a good enough job of probably adjusting that to right uh, you know <laughs> tennessee got a lot more benefit than san francisco yeah yeah you know, you, or somebody in it's it, just people here got a big raise and people in san francisco were still hurting because you can't pay san francisco rent on six hundred dollars yeah. a week right so that is a lot of money to to most people but in san francisco it just doesn't go as far yeah um but that's that is so unprecedented as wages go up when we are in a recession and i mean really in almost like i said depression like categories we had millions and millions of people without jobs yeah. um but we see so we see that happening you're like well that's that's really positive well one of the other uh one of the other things that was happening is we had unemployment that went up to we had the highest unemployment rate ever yeah 
and then immediately we dro- unemployment went from 13% from uh op- you know about 3% to 13% and then back down to 6%. That's millions and millions of jobs that yeah. we are creating and destroying in I mean we're talking 2 3 months of a time frame. Yeah, cuz I mean you you look at the wave that that was cuz I mean we were at historically low unemployment rates right. right before we went to historically high unemployment rates. You know, and it's just to see that wave yeah, in such you, a short time frame. I mean, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's just right. odd to see those happen. When you look at this chart that we'll post on the landing page, you'll see that prior to other recessions, the unemployment rate has gone up pretty dramatically, but it has been a lot slower of a move. It hasn't mm-hmm. just been we go from 3% to 13 or something like that. It's been, you know, we go from 3% to 5 to 7 to 9 and it just starts creeping up a little bit. But like you said, it just... It happened so quickly. Yeah. Um, the One of the reasons, and I'll put this chart up too, is that this recession is a little bit different and the economy is a little bit different, is uh, in prior recessions, there the two parts of the economy, which is good and services, so those two sectors, goods have always been hit harder than services. Mm-hmm. Goods, I mean, people stop buying goods. They stop shopping. They start stop, stop discretionary purchases. That seems to be one of the primary ways that people can cut back during a recession. Well, this time almost all of these jobs that we lost were service industry jobs. Right. So all of those restaurant work, all of those, you know, servers and people who work in restaurants who lost their job in March, as soon as the restaurant reopens in June, they've got it. And then maybe we have like Chicago shut down restaurants again. So now they've lost their job again. Yeah. So we're going and playing this push and pull with people who are, you know, one week may have their job and the next week may not. And so seeing that discrepancy, is and seeing how that is so much different this time it does it kind of explain okay well if these people are unemployment and they get a, they're getting a raise because if you're you know if you're a server and most of your raise comes from or mo- most of your wages come from tips then any hourly <laughs> increases is going to be a pretty substantial raise for you so seeing those things kind of work themselves out is pretty interesting here well and i think too you know i was listening to somebody talk about how you know the in the long run, you're going to see some situations where, um, like, take the restaurant industry for an example. You know, the barrier to entry to make a restaurant is just you having an idea and doing it. You yeah. know, so somebody was talking about how, like, there was already something like 25% more restaurants than there really needed to be, you know, yeah. for, on the space. And so you're going to see a lot of shifting happens, like any time that we have recessions where, right. you know, more needed or you know uh justifiable uh restaurants if you want to use that uh because of demand but then also you know like in the hospitality space you know you're seeing more uh businesses or more hotels that were just conference driven that's really dried up uh, starting to shift toward more uh leisure focus you know like uh here locally opryland you know is a big convention center and what they did which I don't think they predicted this, but it positioned them very well. But they put that water park in uh, Opry Mills, and so that's really kept their business going, you know, in, in the midst where they weren't able to do any conferences when mm-hmm. shutdowns were at their height and things. Yeah. So, and who knows when that stuff is going to come back? Right. With conferences, but you're going to start that. seeing that, you know, in that one specific mm-hmm. thing that's going to have a longer term effect. And even if we do get a vaccine, you're going to have that be something that is a driver for those, so that they yeah. diversify their channels, I guess, if you want to call it that way yeah extreme numbers like i mean extreme economic environments and measures like we've seen always spark some kind of innovation and it just takes a long time to figure out what that innovation is but like you said maybe we are you see a lot of these things shifting in the you know in that 
in that hotel and hospitality sector. So, so you know, as, as we look here, um, I do want to, do you have anything else, Zach, that kind of lays the foundation for what we're looking at, you know, with the economic numbers now? Because, like, when we come back from our break, we'll, we'll kind of hit where are we at and where are we going, you know, yeah, but no, anything else you wanted to point out? for? No, I think the, the most exciting part I want to say for the second half, which is the housing industry, and it, that affects virtually everyone. Right. So, uh, talking about that, that and that, I think is a trend that's going to happen for the next ten, fifteen years. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, because I think you know the the big thing that I hear you saying with the economy is like a lot of things happened, but a lot of things made sense because what was going on at the time. But now it seems like we're starting to get into a a period where you know, all the logic that went into what was happening behind the scenes and behind the numbers is starting to shift into, okay, well, now we're seeing numbers that don't predict what's happening, you right. know, like economic numbers that are terrible, but yet the market is flourishing, you know, and, and how those things are interconnected. Because, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, I think a lot of people from a market perspective, you know, it reflected some of the opinions of people where, yes, we're down because we have a pandemic. And again, oil prices, you know, had a lot more to do with that. We've talked about that several times. But um, but then whenever things open back up, you saw the broad economy or not the broad economy, but the broad markets respond to that because people, I think, were, you know, thinking that this made sense, that everything was opening back, the market would return. You also saw some people that probably had some cash on the sidelines that went into the market, you know, and took advantage of a really good buying opportunity that, you know, we didn't know that we would have over right. a four month period, you know. And the markets reacted quickly, but <clears throat> when you look back on it at the time it didn't make any sense. But when we look back on it, they got it right. Yeah. They overreact we thought it was a big overreaction and then it turns out they were like, No, we're gonna draw down thirty percent in a four week time frame because the economy's gonna be really, really bad. Yeah. And then they bounce back and everybody's like, What it's crazy. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Why are markets bouncing back? And then you realize that this is just our new normal Yeah, that we, you know, we can recover. We just have to make some adjustments here and there. And the market really reacted to that in both the down and the upside a lot quicker than any of this economic data or, you know, anything that could, my head could comprehend. I was like, what is going on here? And then right. you see that now looking back six months, it seems to make sense. Yeah. And, and I think it, it does go to, you know, like in summation there, you know, making sure that you do have a well-diversified plan um, and, and sticking to it whenever things are obviously unpredictable. Like I know for the people that we've talked to, the ones that just stayed with what they were doing benefited the most right. uh, than people who, you know, got scared and they sold out because that's just some, one of those where kind of like where we're at now, you don't get opportunities where you have all-time highs and multiple asset classes that people invest in. And so it is one of those things where, you know, as we move this conversation into kind of where are we now and where are we going, it is a time where you want to be able to, have a conversation of, is this the right allocation for me over the next year, five years, 10 years of my life? And if not, now's a great opportunity to maybe capture some gains, redistribute and do something else. Right. So, so as we look at that, you know, we've kind of set the stage a little bit of foundation for uh, where we have been. As we come back from the break, we're going to talk about where are we at, where are we going with the economy. So uh, thank you for joining us for the first half. We look forward to kicking off the second half soon. Uh, back and forth, we'll be back uh, and go forth uh, in just a moment. Are you nearing the age of retirement? Is your 401k not looking the way you'd hoped all those years ago? Retirement is supposed to be a time to relax, a time to live. Here at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, we strive to provide that service and opportunity. 
We can help you form a plan that will maintain and grow your retirement savings so that you can achieve what you envisioned when you originally set out on this journey. To see where you sit and what you can do to stand again, visit planforeverything.com. That's planforeverything.com. Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Let us plan for everything so you don't have to. Welcome back to Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. As always, I am John. This is Zach. And we did, for the first half of our podcast, uh, I guess reminisce a little bit about a very ugly time in both our economy and our lives uh, with this 2020 year uh, that we've had. But also, you know, it's had some opportunities for people. And I think, you know, as we look at it now, seeing where we're at today, but also where we potentially can be forward. Uh, or moving forward into 2021 is something that we definitely want to make sure that we're always aware of and something that Zach's going to definitely, um, you know, walk us through as we kind of finish off the second half of our, our topic today. So, again, Zach, go ahead and start us off with, I guess, your most noteworthy things or most excited about things going on. So. I, I think it's exciting because it affects a lot of people, and mm-hmm. that is the housing market. I mean, we saw that happen, obviously, in a negative way in 2008. Um but now in a positive way, the housing market has been incredibly resilient. And uh, I think that that is one of the things that the pandemic just kind of kickstarted is that there were, there's going to be a lot, in my opinion, a lot of generational buying demand. Yeah. Millennials are now getting to first time home buying age is there is millennials on average are starting families a little bit later. Uh, mm-hmm. So I know that that has kind of delay, been delayed as far as getting into the housing market. But now during the pandemic, when everybody was forced to be at home, I think you had a lot of people who were in their late 20s, early 30s saying, I would rather be quarantining in a two-bedroom house than a 700-square-foot studio apartment. Right. I think that that really kick-started uh, this, what I believe will be a generational buying uh, spree for millennials over the next five, 10 years for the housing market. And again, you talk about kickstart, you know, with interest rates primarily. Is interest rates, that's that yeah. that's the other component here is I think that millennials are, have been gearing up to buy houses. They just aren't as, it's not as important to them as it has been to previous generations as we've seen them stay in apartments and in value flexibility a little bit. But I think that we saw that they still want that. And a lot of that, like you said, was kickstarted because if interest rates are now, you know, mortgage rates are 3%, you can afford so much more of a house than you could when mortgage rates were 5 or 6%. Right, that, or the same house with a much lower exactly. monthly draw to there's, you. There's, so. there's, a, there's a trade-off there. And so we saw that happen with the economic data. That's how we kind of tie this back into, 20, into 2020 and what was going on in the economy was we saw, I mean, pending home sales. Uh, let's see, I have this chart here. Pending home sales during the month of November were up 20% from last year. That's not a month over month. We're not looking at March to November. We're looking at November 2019, pre-pandemic, to November 2020. Mm-hmm. That That's huge. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at – that's that's an enormous number. And so – And two, you know, 2019's numbers weren't bad. No, no, we had, <laughs> you know, we had I mean, it. it was it was a really good year in housing, yep. too. So, I mean – Yep, it's a normal – norm. you know, normal to, like, healthy, good economy. And then now we're looking at this pandemic economy and housing is just skyrocketing. We're seeing – Houses, I mean, anecdotally, houses in my neighborhood are selling day of. Yeah, They're yeah. selling within a day or two. And so we see that, and you're like, well, that's that's an interesting thing. Let's see if this is playing out across the country. And it really is. How that actually affects most people is their housing prices. Uh, housing prices from uh, this year, from last year to this year, are up almost 7%. Yeah. So now your house that was, you know, 
worth a hundred thousand you know if you have a house that's worth a hundred thousand dollars a year ago it's worth a hundred and seven thousand dollars now so you made seven thousand dollars just without by, doing anything yeah exactly Stay in there longer yeah and, and it, if if you count all this money that was spent at lowes and home depot remodeling that same house exactly uh, that's not even in that seven percent so yeah i mean but those type of things that affects a lot of people and so that could affect somebody who's looking to you know if you're in retirement and you're like well i want to downsize now all the kids are out i need I want to look at maybe buying a different home. Well, you, you just made a lot more money trying to sell your house during this housing environment. And so the reason I think this is so important is because I don't think that this is a one-off. I don't think that this is the unemployment rate going from 3% to 13% back down to 6 I, I'll be I'll be shocked if we, you know, outside, outside of coronavirus and this pandemic, I'll be shocked if we ever see that happen in such a short time frame right. again. But I, I think that this housing story is really just starting to pick up with – a generational movement into housing and so we and the other thing that kind of sparks this is housing has finite resources there's only so mi- so much land that you can build a house on yeah and so that that scarcity of supply uh depending on you know you, the region that you're living in can also you know boost that home price even more and so seeing these things can be a big boost to that net worth going forward but it has been so far and we saw that in 2020 is just like you can have, you know, like I said, seven thousand more dollars just because you stayed there. Yeah, I think those things are really important for for some of the people that are pessimistic in viewpoint, which I wouldn't <laughs> qualify myself as. But you know, as you look at it, it's a great time to buy a house or a great time to sell a house, not buy a house. Yeah, you know, but I mean, if you sell, as, if you're selling your house, a lot of times you are also buying. So right. keeping that in mind. So I mean, as well. you're, you've got a cost. You've got a great opportunity on one side, and then a bad you know, situation on the other. And so, you know, what you're saying is the housing bubble that a lot of people feel like we're in, because I mean, we've had, it's not pandemic related that we've had really good house numbers, you know, like people were saying even before that, like, man, we've got really, you know, high prices on homes and and different things for the equivalent. So you think that's going to be something that will continue on because now you've got a younger generation that's never even had a house. They're entering exactly. the marketplace. I think there's this whole new demand coming to the mm-hmm. market that wasn't there. And it's been in apartments. We've seen apartments flourish. I mean, apartments have done extremely well. They've been, you know, some apartment complexes are at 100% capacity. You see them, I mean, apartment complexes are full. So everywhere you look, it seems like you're seeing a new complex going up. So we've seen that. And I don't, you know, I think that millennials aren't just moving out of apartments in droves, but I think that all the all the demand that, caused apartment buildings to be so uh full and have such high capacity and rents to go up every year a lot some of that demand if it just starts to make its way into housing market i mean i think that can be a huge boost a longer term boost for the housing market so you would say that you think the demand coming out of apartments is kind of matching up with the demand going in because i mean you're almost seeing where you know for previous generations that that apartment buffer didn't really exist yeah you know it was just you stayed at home until you got married, and then you went out and you bought a house. You know, exactly. And then, and then now you're seeing that apartment be the buffer there. But as people are getting, you know, now a more of an incentive to leave, you've got another generation of people that are kind of entering that buffer themselves. You know, and right. trying to put themselves in. You know, I would say when you look big picture wise, um, it seems like this younger generation has more of a mindset toward finance and savings than a lot of previous generations do because I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are realizing that the safeguards of Social Security and some of those things may not be there and, and having an awareness of now saying that you can also have people who are 
completely responsible with money too. I mean, that's well, present everywhere. But I think financial education in the last fifty yeah. years has just improved so much. I mean, we're sitting here talking about these things, and fifty years ago, we maybe kind of knew what GDP was. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably happened too because of technology making the individual have so much more capabilities of, of what they do with their money and, and more say-so and more control. And I think that that ownership, too, is probably going a long way as well. Right. But that can maybe guide us into where we're going. I don't know if you had any more yeah, points no, on the. No, I think that the housing market, I think, is going to continue to be a trend for as we look to 2021. Um, the biggest thing, and this sounds like we're just kind of beating a dead horse, is the stimulus package that may come in January or February is going to be huge because mm -hmm. we're looking now, the the stock market has rallied in the last month or so and is at all-time highs right now, you know, depending on when we're talking about this, it may be at a new all-time high in this very second. But it's all because of this vaccine that they that we're expecting. Yeah. We've got we've had three. This is actually the first Monday in the last four weeks that we haven't had some positive uh, news, news for yeah. a vaccine mm -hmm. on a Monday. We've had two, we've had three Monday. The last three Mondays we've had like positive vaccine news when I woke up on Monday morning. I'm just so, trying to get yeah. rid of the Mondays, the <laughs> yeah. stigma, you know. Yeah, we're also so, going to survive. Um, so so that that that's what we're going to look for. And that's really going to help the economy open back up because, like we said, all of these service industry jobs, if we can have a widespread vaccine, we'll see a lot of those jobs return pretty quickly, I think. As long as, you know, there will be some restaurants, like you said, that will have closed permanently or some of those businesses that unfortunately will have to shut because we just they just couldn't last this long period of time with such low, you know, such decrease in business. But yeah. I think that as we look forward, the vaccine is going to continue to be the story until we have it. I think that we're just going to have to look at that because that's what's going to be the trigger for the economy to open back up. But until then, we're really looking at potentially, you know, if we're looking at the second half of 2021 getting this vaccine, we've still got six months in, 20, in the first half of 2021 that we need some kind of stimulus for all of these businesses that are going to remain shut or all these people who will have their jobs that still haven't come back. And I think, too, you know, I mean, we're already seeing the numbers from Thanksgiving and, and increasing cases that will continue probably mm -hmm. through Christmas. And so it's one of those where it will be interesting to see what happens if there are more shutdowns that are put in place, if people will handle them better knowing that there's a vaccine on yeah. the horizon where, like, March, April, we didn't know what the heck this was. Like no. some people were ignorant of, you know, it being a real thing. Some people were scared to death. I think we know a little bit more about it now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the hope that comes from a possible solution, it'll be interesting to see how that affects both economic data and market data. You right. Because uh, I think, you know, like what you said, the, the market has responded to vaccine news. I think it's also responded in some ways to the hope of a, gridlocked uh, House and Senate, you know, as well, uh, even though that's not a certainty yet until there's an election in Georgia. And even then, even if both both of the seats went Republican, that's not a big enough majority to really, you know, toot mm -hmm. the horn, so to speak, uh, when it comes to possible changes in the new administration. So um, so I think that both of those things are combining. But if I I'm curious to see in 2021, if we these numbers maybe continue or maybe vaccines come out and they're not as, I don't want to say effective as they say. Cause like when you have news stories of this being 90% effective, like you're expecting this to be a sure thing, you know, and it may not turn out. And, and the, the concern that some people, and again, this is all, 
you know, hearsay at this point because nobody really even knows what this thing is, you know, more than anybody else does. But um, I think it's one of those where, as we look at it, some of the people have said with the vaccine, you may have COVID-like symptoms. And so then it's just about how we balance out, you know, the uh, who's actually got it versus who's getting, you know, better. And it'll be interesting to see. It's a big unknown, but that's why I think having – regardless of what happens in the Georgia runoff election, it seems almost like an almost certainty that we will have a stimulus package yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And no, so I think that's kind of floating that, outside of here. Yeah, sure. it, no, exactly. So that stimulus package, getting through all of that uncertainty, because like you said, we there were reports that we might get, be getting the vaccine by the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and healthcare workers and frontline workers might be starting to see that. And so, you know, Maybe that'd be great, but the FDA still has to approve it. We still have to distribute this, right. and we've got three or four weeks to go now. So seeing that and watching watching all those things play out, to, to get through that uncertainty, we're going to have to have the stimulus. So for the economy, looking at that and then trying to project and say, like, okay, well, we've got some stimulus, so we can kind of rest easy and say let's focus on the vaccine and see where that's going to take us because, like yeah. you said, it's just – it is so un- so unknown right now, and we've seen things happen so quickly that having some, you know, having balancing these two things from the stimulus to the vaccine is going to be the story for 2021. Yeah. Anything else that you see kind of economically to watch for right now? Because, I mean, what I'm hearing from you just from a fundamental perspective is, you know, we're not we're not at a place where we were in March where if we do have some types of shutdowns, you know, mm-hmm. that we're going to have the crazy responses to it, I think. Is, do you feel it's, like that's maybe accurate? Or I, I think that the, the shutdowns will hurt. Uh, the problem that we're going to run into now is in March and April and May, uh, we had the, page, the payroll protection program, and so mm-hmm. that helped a lot of businesses stay afloat. So we saw Chicago just close indoor dining again, and New York's flirting with that same idea. And so if we go through this uh, – you know, if New York closes and other places close, my biggest worry would be with, in absence of a PPP program, will there be businesses that shut for good? Yeah. And I would look at that and say like, okay, we, we had a lot of businesses that took advantage of this and it helped. I mean, that was designed to pay for payroll and rent and things that just literally kept the lights on. You could yeah. use it for utilities. Uh, and so using not having that is going to be really tough because I wonder what businesses will actually close. I think people themselves, we kind of know what we're dealing with now. We knew and we have an idea that maybe it'll be a little bit more short lived or something. You know, that's what we're seeing is we're not seeing like, oh, we're going into a two month lockdown. Maybe this is like the UK. They locked they locked uh, down and they had everybody at a stay at home order and they did it for four weeks. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we know that there's an endpoint here, there's a little bit more optimism. But I would, I would be worried about that. Is just absent of a PPP, what businesses are closed yeah. for good? What's the long term? What's the long term unemployment look like? This month to month thing is, you know, we've seen that play out. But what does this look like if we go another six weeks without that PPP? I don't know. Well, and uh, I think too, you know, what what could have happened with like the PPP is it was like a lifeline for some businesses that maybe weren't prepared but it maybe delayed some inevitable facts for some people you know like like we talked about with restaurants where you know there may just be too many restaurants to be supported by Or there's some restaurants like if you're a pizza place to go doesn't really change you know you lose a little bit of business but then if you're a fine dining place maybe there's there's all these levers i don't it's those are the type of levers that when you look at you're like well this is 
it's really hard to know because when you're ta- like you said, if we're, I think people are prepared for a shutdown. I think like just because we know what's coming and that hope of the vaccine might be, might make it a little bit more bearable, I think. Yeah. Um, well, and I think more than anything else, when you talk economically, it seems like what the first wave of shutdowns did is it sent a warning shot out to businesses saying you better have diversification of how you're, you know, getting your revenue and you better make sure that if this happens again, you have a good response to it. Otherwise, I mean, the people that are not going to have the um, response to it may not weather it without mm-hmm. the PPP. You know right. what I mean? So it's yeah. it, it'll value it'll put more of a value on businesses that can have the flexibility to change like a, yeah. you There's going to be innovation that comes out of this right. dramatically. And, but it always does. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people, you know, your financial people that you work with, you know, probably have told you that a correction could have happened. They just wouldn't have predicted it would have been a pandemic that, you know, had, right. no, had no symptoms and, and scared to death everybody. Period. Right. You know, but it, it's one of those things where the fundamentals of the economy, as we look at it, are still a little out of whack from like still having pretty high unemployment as Mm -hmm. the way we look at it. But in the short term, look a lot better than they did. You know, like if you pulled the data out that we have right now, any year, you know, in the past, you'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? (laughs) You know, but, but in the midst of such a, like a a turbulent year, like we've had, you know, I mean, we've just kind of seen a little bit of everything. So we're not really surprised anymore i don't know if you would put it that way but yeah and i would say one of my i want to float this out here too because this is something that i've just been thinking about too is there this is more of a uh zach hill fun theory to to think about we'll wrap up with the. this is my my fun theory is as we look forward to the economy and fundamental changes that we think like you said innovation can come out of this there's i i was saying this on fridays i made an appointment at the dmv and i was there for less than 10 minutes what an innovation. That never would have happened without the pandemic. I would have been at the DMV for three hours. Yeah. But one of the things that that I think is going to be looming over the the economy is going to be, as, I, as we think about Christmas, we think about Christmas shopping, is, is, is this really, we've been, is this the death of the traditional shopping mall? That yeah. has been coming for a long time. Malls have been going out of business. We've seen a lot of malls going out, down. And so we've seen Amazon do phenomenally well and online shopping just taking off so it is this is that alongside housing one of these things that we see malls turn into water parks turn into all of these things yeah. that start to happen and i think that if i was just thinking about what's an innovation that i see happening potentially right now and it's going to be this this shift in these big pieces of real estate and what what's housed inside of those yeah no I, i've i've had that theory for a while now because right. you know i think what you're going to see happen from a um office space perspective you know we've talked about this is you know you've got office buildings that may not have the corporate tenant anymore but may offer up smaller offices for people that don't want to work at home anymore but still want to have a workspace you know so i mean exactly it still may be office real estate but at the same time it may shift into just a different way to do it um you know but i think what what you're going to see there from what you were talking about with the shopping mall is you have to offer something that's an experience that people can't get online. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to survive that and be a brick and mortar, you've got to have amazing customer service and amazing client mm-hmm. experience that makes people want to leave their basement and yeah. go <laughs> shop there instead of just getting it delivered to them and then mailing it back if it doesn't fit. You right. know, so so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how the shift of in-person business happens to where it is more 
experiential, you know, more than anything right. else, I would say. Because, I mean, we've even seen some of that, you know, in our space where, you know, trying to have a really good client experience, trying to have a really good interaction and service model um, right. is something that I think is going to be the lifeblood of businesses that are able to thrive through this. So, but anyway, that's a little picture of where we're at economically. Uh, hopefully, if you do have any questions, uh, let us know um, either through, uh, we've got, I guess, resources, info at blueridgewealth.com. You can ask any questions that you have and we'll definitely get back may even inspire some show topics because, you know, in the second season, we've got the episodes mapped out, but we do have some flexibility based on, obviously, things that we have seen this year changing a lot. Um, you don't want to have such a tight schedule that you can't allow for very topical, very timely uh, conversations like this one uh, and others. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, look for more during season two of Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth. But I'm John. This is Zach. That's all we have today. Thanks. Investment advisory services offered through Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, MAS, and Blue Ridge Wealth Planners are not affiliated companies.